Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. The Three and Out Podcast with me, John Middlecoff, is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. Great odds and markets for baseball, the NBA, NHL, PGA Tour, and so much more. Awesome new and existing user promotions. America's number one sportsbook. Very easy to use, safe and secure. You get your winnings fast. I cannot recommend it enough. Love gambling with FanDuel. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code Colin so they know we sent you. What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, go low pod on a uh, massive, massive day for the world of professional golf. Uh, some thoughts on, obviously, Brooks Kepka, And it doesn't feel like it's getting that much attention, but he's a top 20 player. Abe Answer, uh, leaving, defecting, headed to Greg Norman, the Saudis, and live golf, which, uh, which is a really big deal. N- no way around it. Even though both guys have been rumored for a long period of time. Uh, I, I've had I've, Jay Monahan. They had a basically a players only meeting led by him at the Travelers Championship this week, and some information came out, and it just made me shake my head. So we'll get into that. And I've had a couple days now to let it marinate on Will Zalatoris, and I, I think I have a take on why he resonates so much with so many of us when we watch him play golf. Of course, to get involved on this show, at GoLowPod, at GoLowPod is the Instagram. 
Fire up in those direct messages and get your questions answered here on the show. It's how we interact. Really easy to do. I try to separate my personal Instagram for football stuff and uh, this stuff for the golf stuff. We'll have a football podcast out on Friday, more than likely, and then mailbag as well on the weekend. But this is uh, this podcast we cover the PGA Tour and now, of course, live golf. And I think the number one characteristic you can have as a leader in business is to be proactive and not reactive. And it's hard, right? Part of being a good leader is having experience and understanding what is coming up. It's what makes a good CEO. CEOs that think ahead, think of the way the world is changing, get involved in different businesses and, you know, involved in different streams of revenue that might not be fruitful immediately, but ultimately that's where society's heading. People that pivoted to streaming, people that pivoted to podcast, Elon pivoting to electric vehicles. I mean, we can, a million different examples of this. Video stuff. Remember when Facebook bought Instagram? That was a pretty good purchase. And part of being a good leader is seeing the future. It's not easy. It's why most people can't lead. It's what makes a good football coach understanding and anticipating what is going to happen. Not reacting to just what is happening, but understanding what might happen. And I think it's fair to say, as of June 21st, and listen, I don't know the guy personally, never met him. Just followed him from the outside. Looks like he's got a pretty good gig. Makes $5.5 million according to the records that were published on the internet. But I think it's fair to say that if I was a player on the PGA Tour, and I was a loyal player. And I've said it my whole time. I'm not a moral high horse with this guy, I, with this whole situation. I don't blame any single person for living, uh, leaving the tour, heading to live. I'm a 1099 guy. I haven't received a W-2 in almost a decade now, since 2016. So maybe a little less than that. Seven years. I don't ever plan on receiving a W-2 unless it's from my own company. I like operating the way I do. I like hunting and gathering. I like the trenches of the business society. But I also, with comes with that, is my freedom. These guys have the freedom to do whatever they want. And Jay Monahan knows this. And he's had this. This has been in the air brewing for years. And today I saw that his idea to respond to live was to create extra tournaments throughout the season to give guys a bunch of money. And my first response is, live's greatest asset. And the greatest asset we all have is time and available time to ourselves. And we never know when time is going to end. The time we get to spend with our family, the time we get to spend with doing what we want to do. Because most of the time that we spend in life is either sleeping or working. So the extra time you have in life is very, very valuable. And the more successful you can be financially, typically the more time you're allotted. So these guys that signed on with Live, even if it's eight times, they play eight times this year, and next year it goes to 14. That is still less than the required amount that you would have to have on the PGA Tour, which is 15. And obviously, guys end up playing more than those 15 times. But the difference is on the Live Tour, I don't have to succeed to make money. If I'm Bryson, if I'm Brooks, if I'm DJ, if I'm Abe Answer. Now, obviously, Brooks, DJ, and Kepka got a ton of money. I have no clue how much Abe Answer got. Let's just say $25 million. That's $25 more million than the PGA Tour would give him to play. They don't want to have to play to earn their money all the time. So, of course, Steph Curry gets paid 40 plus million dollars. The Warriors pay him to win. 
But if they don't win, he still gets paid. So these tournaments and these ideas by Jay Monahan to me, go against the greatest advantage Liv has. I'm giving you money. I'm handing you cash. Because if I'm Rory McIlroy, if I'm Scotty Scheffler, if I'm Justin Thomas, if I'm Jordan Spieth, I earn the money for the tour all year long. When you put me in premium groups, when you put me in the marquee groups, when you market me all week long for the tournaments, when your tournament's used to market me leading up to the tournament, that's a really big deal. I am your cash cow. Find a way. Pip, the Pip gave out $40 million. I've been lucky in my life to know some people, entrepreneurs, family friends that started businesses. My, my brother married into one. People that started businesses from scratch. Had a lot of success. And over one of the greatest economic runs we'd ever seen, from like 2012 to 2018, in that period of time, they were able to sell their businesses to VC firms for a lot of money. Let's just say, hypothetically, close to that $40 million range. To me, $40 million is a lot. But to act like $40 million and and put that carrot out when you have to split it, whatever, 10 ways, is a joke. That's embarrassing. Live, that's that's a tournament for live. The PIP, nice idea 10 years ago. So the money the tour is even putting out available, Jay Monahan should have one single job right now. And that's raising money. And that should have started years ago. Here's the problem. Timing is not on his side. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're starting to have some economic chaos. A recession is right around the corner. You know what's hard to do during recessions? Get people to give you money when your asset or your business is uncertain. Because you would say right now, the PGA Tour, I don't know who is going to play and who is not going to play on a given basis. So Jay Monahan needs to raise a ton of money. And maybe they have extra money in their coffers, which would be pretty embarrassing because that's what Phil has been bitching and moaning about for years. Where has the money gone, Jay? I think what the PGA Tour really needs is a David Stern, is a Roger Goodell, someone who is hated by the media. You know why those guys were hated by the media? They were revenue cutthroat generators. And the media resents business. They always have. So they hated the way those guys operated. But you know who those guys were great for? Everyone involved in their business. The players, the owners, Everyone involved in the NBA, everyone involved in the NFL over David Stern and Roger Goodell's time has printed cash. Now, people have made money on Jay Monahan's watch, but now that they have true competition with more money, it feels like Jay's in over his head. And Jay feels like right now, it's all reactionary. It's all reacting to everything that Norman and the Saudis are doing. And I would say, listen, if Norman and the Saudis had come out of nowhere a month ago, I'd be like, I don't blame him. What the hell was he supposed to do? We have been talking about this, these different leagues and this different big money-backed Saudi league for years, but specifically like 12 months plus, hardcore. He has known this is coming. Now, I think he thought maybe he could avoid him. He clearly didn't. And now he's lost three guys that have combined for seven major championships, three stalwarts on the Ryder Cup. Listen, you can say what you want about Kepka, Bryson, and DJ, about where their games are at currently. Those are massive, massive blows. There's no way around it. And I think the scary part is, and I saw no laying up tweet this, that Brooks was telling people like two weeks ago, I'm not leaving. These people have so much money, they can keep buying guys. And it's not going to stop. So when they go to Pumpkin Ridge in a week, 
and they see the money that gets distributed, more and more guys are going to jump. More and more guys are going to jump at the offer of a hundred of $150 million. And I'm not saying Jay, even if he was Roger Goodell or David Stern, has the capability of generating that type of money to give out to his guys. He doesn't. But he had the opportunity for years to be in positions where the PIP is not $40 million. Again, $40 million to me, $40 million, I would imagine to a lot of people listening, is a shitload of money. But when you're handing out a tenth of it to different guys who are already really rich, it's nothing. It's peanuts. And relative to live, it's laughable. So I would say it's time to start questioning, is Jay Monahan worthy of being the commissioner in these times of turmoil, of times when Greg Norman, the Saudis, and now Kepka and Brooks, these guys are waging war on the PGA Tour. And while I wouldn't say anyone's winning or losing, the PGA Tour still has stars, it is not trending well for them. And if they do not figure it out, if I was some of these loyal, staunch supporters of what the PGA Tour represents, I would start asking, Jay, what are you going to do? Jay, what other pitches do you have? Jay, what have you been doing? Getting mad with Jim Nance at the RBC accomplished nothing. It's no different than the media bitching and moaning about these guys leaving for live. No one gives a shit what you think. I'm sorry. Clearly the players don't because they keep leaving. They're not listening to you. So I I think it's time to start wondering, like, what are we doing here if we're the PGA Tour? We can only have Rom, Rory, and JT beat the table so much. They can't raise the money. It's not their job. Their job is to play. Your job is to administrate. Administrators administrate, players play. And the top players generate all the money for those administrators. So let's figure it out. Losing Brooks Kepka today, even though it had been rumored, and I said it on social media, I don't know if you guys are big Pac-12 football fans, but a while back, Jeff Tedford's last couple years at Cal, he signed Keenan Allen, who is now a star wide receiver for the Chargers. Keenan Allen was supposed to go to Alabama and play for Nick Saban. But part of it was it was a package deal. You also had to sign his stepbrother, Zach Maynard. Under no circumstances would Nick Saban sign Zach Maynard. I don't blame him. Wasn't worth it to him. Jeff Tedford didn't have that luxury. It was worth signing Keenan Allen to come to his team, even if it ultimately cost him because Zach Maynard became his quarterback and it was a disaster. But when Liv signed Chase Kepka, you could see the writing on the wall. For any of you guys that follow college basketball, it happens all the time, right? I put a guy's college coach or a high school coach or brother on my coaching staff to get that recruit to come to my school. Now, Brooks clearly, I think it's fair to say, was anti-live, was not going to do it. And a little bit like DJ, they just kept raising their rate and them throwing his brother a bone. And who knows, even if they gave Chase Kepka $5 million, they've taken care of him. And yesterday or at Monday, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, they tweeted about Chase Kepka just hitting some balls. I'm like, they are... They are recruiting Kepka right now. And then by about Monday afternoon, he had scrubbed his Twitter account and it was clear he was going. But I said this last week, I'll say it again this week, and I'll say it moving forward. You can't have a tour full of just unlimited good guys. You have to have villains. And your villains have to be able to play. Like Grayson Murray and Kevin Na. Cool story for golf nerds. The casual fan couldn't point Grayson Murray out of a mat, out of a lineup. They, they have no clue who that is. But Bryson and Brooks, regardless what you think about him, and most people have like, especially with Bryson, a reaction when you say his name. Losing him is devastating. Losing Brooks Kepka is not good. 
You can't keep losing these guys. It's one thing to lose some of these old Euros. Like, I don't blame Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood, and Sergio Garcia. They weren't born in America. If the, if the PGA Tour had been based in China or Korea or Russia or the Middle East, that's where they would have played their whole career. It just happened to be here. I don't. They, they didn't choose to. They, they were forced to live in America. But losing American stars is a big deal, and it's it's going to happen more and more. Even I saw Abe answer. I'm pretty sure he's born in Mexico. Like I, I don't blame any of these guys. I, I that's why I give Rom credit. Like he wasn't born here, but he loves it and he's loyal to it. I understand JT and Jordan and Scotty Scheffler having a lot, and even Tiger having a lot of pride in the PGA Tour. I don't blame the Euros for bouncing, especially because their careers are basically over. But losing cap, you can't keep on the rate that they're losing guys. And Sobel told us last week that everyone at the U.S. Open basically said, when a guy says I'm not in, he might be in. And when a guy says I'm out, keep an eye on him. So you can't take any of these guys at face value. And Honestly, given the amount of money, none of us, if you've never been offered $120 million, you it's so easy for everyone on the outside to be like, oh, blood money. But what happens when someone offered you $120 million? I saw Charles Barkley said he'd kill a relative for $200 million. What, what's my number? To, to live could own me. It'd probably be $20 million. I'd be gone. I don't know if I'd do it for five. Not that I wouldn't take $5 million, but would it be worth it for everything? You could argue even 10. I'd, I have to start really thinking, you know, I could, and again, like I'm no moral high horse guy, but they, they could easily buy me just like most people listening. They could buy you too, just like they're buying these guys. And it's why all these guys that have been adamant, things change and things change fast. Like Greg Norman and the Saudis, Jay Monahan right now is lost at sea and they're like jaws circling him right now. Now his boat is still erect and doesn't have any leaks. But it's it's a scary situation. It's a very, very scary situation if you're the PGA Tour. They have to be incredibly rattled. There's, there's just no way around it. And again, back to what I said originally, I, I just put it on the commissioner. That's his job to administrate. It is Justin Thomas's job to shoot good golf stores. It's Rory's job to dial in his wedges. It is not their job to figure out how to raise money. They're doing a good enough job by winning tournaments and being in the top 10 of basically every tournament that matters. It's it's Jay Monahan's job. And right now, and again, I'm not holding him to the standard of raising Saudi money, but he better figure fucking something out and not $40 million pip. Imagine like you need a $40 million pip in the NFL or the NBA. You'd be laughed out of the room. And last but not least, it really hit me why I think Willie Zally Torres Will Zalatoris, Willie Zalatoris, everyone calls him Willie Z, uh, William Zalatoris, really resonates with us all. I think one thing we could all relate to, every single one of us, is failure. Whether you have been fired, whether you have been dumped, whether your business has gone bankrupt, whether you have failed a test, every single human, and some more than most, have failed. And they have failed at things that they have tried very, very hard to succeed at. When I, I've been fired in the NFL and I was fired in radio and I took a lot of passion in both those things and tried to be a successful, ambitious, and do everything humanly possible to have success in those industries. Now, the best thing that ever happened to me is being fired and failing in those two industries. It's led me to where I'm at and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I've been dumped. It hurts. We've, we've I would imagine a lot of people listening have had their heart broken. It, it's a very... Uh, 
you know, it's something that happens to most people at some time in your life. Maybe when you're 15, maybe when you're 25, maybe when you're 50. But most people can have that happen. And I think anyone that has lost something or failed at something that they wanted really badly can relate to that pain. And I think when you watch Will Zalatoris constantly fail and get so close in these enormous tournaments, he's now a three-time major runner-up. He lost in the last two tournaments in a playoff to Justin Thomas and on the last hole to Matt Fitzpatrick. You literally can't get any closer. The only way he could have got closer on Sunday if that ball would have lipped out. It literally smoked the edge. And I think we watch this guy and go, this guy's resiliency, because I think the thing we all respect is, I wouldn't trade my failures in life for anything. You hear all these cliches when you're young, like you don't learn through success, you learn through failure. It couldn't be any truer. But the only time you learn is going through the tough times. And when you go through the tough times, it makes you realize either how bad you want something or how bad you don't want something. And if you really want it, you even work harder. And it's like part of the reason Clay Thompson took so much joy and so much pride in this championship because he tore his ACL and he tore his Achilles in back-to-back years. Will Zalatoris is so good at golf, it's stupid. If you're listening to this, you're probably a golf fan. We've all been watching majors. and We've seen a lot of guys sniff a major here and there. A lot of guys have had their moments. This guy literally does it every single tournament when it matters. Go to his Wikipedia page. Go to the area where it says, you know, major championship results and see how many top fives and top tens he's had in a short career. Four years ago, the guy was on the Corn Ferry Tour. It is a remarkable accomplishment how far he's come. But I think a little like Phil Mickelson, Tiger was great. He immediately kicked everyone's ass and became a legend instantly. Phil Mickelson was kind of the opposite. Phil Mickelson was this elite talent. Tiger lapped him, and then Phil couldn't win a major for a long period of time. I'm pretty sure Phil didn't win his first major until 32, 33 years old. And then he's since obviously rattled off six. But part of the reason I think Phil, we kind of felt Phil in our bones, is he had these devastating losses. And he lost it in all different forms and fashions. And he started doing it early. And then it kept happening basically all throughout his 20s. And in a weird way, when you think the guy is a good person, you're just kind of drawn to him. You kind of gravitate to that player. Because it's one thing to lose once. Like, like you don't want the person to be the Buffalo Bills of golf. And right now, that kind of feels what Zalatoris is. And here's the thing. In golf, in any sport, in life, you're guaranteed nothing. There is no guarantee that Will Zalatoris will ever win a major. Even though you watch him, and you've watched basically these last two years of majors, it feels inevitable. It feels like, how is this guy not going to win a major? Ironically, he's never even won a PGA golf tournament. But I saw today, I think he's sixth in the season on uh, on earnings. Like He's made a ton of money. He's living an incredible life. He hasn't even won a golf tournament yet as a professional, as a PGA Tour player. He's won on the Corn Ferry, but he has not won on the PGA Tour. And he obviously has not won a major. But I, I think I started thinking, like, why do I like this guy so much? Part of it is I've gambled on him. But part of it is, like, you feel for him. Like, we all feel when we fail. That sucks. And uh, I, I think that really makes him resonate with all of us. Step up to the tee and take a swing at betting the PGA Tour on FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet the Tour with no sweat first bet. If you don't win... 
you'll get up to $1,000 back in free bets. This weekend, the Travelers Championship. Use your no-sweat bet on Zalatoris, on Brooks Kepka, and on Jordan Spieth. Parlay them, put them finish the top 20, do whatever you feel. I kind of like Zalatoris this weekend. Great promotions every day, safe and secure app, get paid fast. So see for yourself why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook and sign up using the promo code COLIN to get started with your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. FanDuel Sportsbook, official betting operator of the PGA Tour, promo code COLIN. 21 and over and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Must wager in designated offer market. Max bet $5. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42-ARIZONA, 1-888-789-7777. Or visit ccpg.org slash chat, Connecticut, 1-800-GAMBLER, or visit fanduel.com slash RG, Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, 1-877-770-STOP, Louisiana, or 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help, Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369, New York, Tennessee Redline, 1-800-888-9789, Tennessee, 1-800-522-4700, Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net, West Virginia. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Off a thrilling and I mean thrilling U.S. Open to transitioning into live golf talk. But he's also live from the Travelers, Jason Sobel, who took it all in. I was following him closely on Twitter. Uh, you can hear him every week, uh, Monday through Wednesday, Golf uh, Sirius XM, Channel 92. Uh, you can find him on the internet all over, right in his betting column, as well as his Links and Locks podcast on the Action Network. Sobel, a uh, lot going on right now, man. How are you doing? Uh, bro, this this is ridiculous. This is way too much work. I signed up to cover golf so I could like sit around the sun all day and watch guys hit balls. And like at the end, you know, I write a couple hundred words on how they played and go home, have a nice dinner, and that was it. I mean, that that's what I signed up for when I started doing this twenty years ago. I wasn't signed up for free agency and defections and you know trying to hostily take over another two. Like, what is going on here? Come on, I'm not I'm, I'm not built for this. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm before for, for low workload. <laughs> Before we dive into the news of uh, of Tuesday, and really, let's let's face it, it's kind of been the elephant in the room for a while uh, with Brooks. Let's talk about what happened and really transpired over the weekend. You know, the big boys were all right there. 
you and I had been talking about Fitzpatrick for a long time, just given his success. Uh, and, and our boy Willie Z, I mean, no one comes through. What was your takeaway just from Sunday at, at Brookline? Yeah, so a few things. First of all, uh, the real winner of the week was uh, someone who doesn't necessarily look his age, looks a lot younger, uh, someone who held off all the competitors and uh, really looked fantastic throughout the entire week. I'm talking about the country club, not Matt Fitzpatrick, but the country club is the real winner. Uh, I thought it was awesome. Uh, USGA, we have criticized them over and over in the past when they've gotten the setup wrong. Let's at least give them credit when they get the setup right. I thought it was uh, fantastic. I was worried going in that a 125-yard golf course playing 7,200 yards uh, wouldn't be enough for these guys, or they would have to trick it up so much that it would be uh, unfair and ridiculous. It was neither of those things. I thought it was a great venue, and hopefully they get back there sooner rather than later. As for Fitzpatrick, look, we try to prognosticate here on the pod every single week, we try to make picks, and we look at narratives, and sometimes those narratives don't shake out. All of the narratives shook out for Matt Fitzpatrick. He had won. I don't know if you heard this, John. He, he won the 2013 U.S. Amateur right there at the country club. <laughs> he did? <laughs> Take a swig, by the way. You got to drink every time you hear that. Uh, but he also, uh, there you go. I don't know what's in that cup. Uh, he also Water. is it's playing early. some of the best golf <laughs> on the PGA Tour this year. He was number one in total strokes game before Rory had passed him just a little bit the previous week. And he also plays his best golf on tough golf courses. He said in the past, he gets bored when it's, 23, 24 under winning a golf tournament. He likes when pars mean something. We can go out and grind out around, don't make mistakes. That's exactly what he did in the final round. He's got the trophy now and he deserves every part of it. You know, I mean, part of this game that we love, there's an element of, of randomness and luck, probably more than any of the major sports beside maybe baseball, right? With a ball coming into play or not. That both their tee shots on 15, it felt like that's when the tournament. I mean, one guy barely misses in Zalatoris and he's in the deep rough. The other guy kind of goes, Phil Tiger sprays it to where the patrons are sitting and or standing and gets a way better lie, even though he was farther back and had a pretty easy shot. And to me, that's looking back where the I know Zalatoris had a chance to win it or I mean, push it into extra holes on 18, but that was a what I mean, that was a two-shot swing with, with four holes to go. I mean, that's, that's pretty big in major championships, right? Yeah, but you've got to take advantage of those breaks as well. Uh, so everyone's going to get good breaks. Everyone's going to get bad breaks over the course of 72 holes. You've got to take advantage of – remember, Fitzpatrick was in – I'm still not quite sure if it was the exact same bunker as John Rahm the previous day or just the bunker next to it. But in any case, Matt Fitzpatrick in a bunker on 18. John Rahm from a similar spot made double bogey the previous day after getting into the lead. Matt Fitzpatrick hits a nice cut right into the middle of the green, two putts for par from there. So he, he did what he needed to do. Even sometimes when he got a, a bad break like that one, he, yeah, he drove it into a bunker, but he still made the best of it. And that's, you know, a, a lot of times U.S. Open is about making the fewest amount of mistakes rather than the most amount of parties and other good things out there on the golf course. Did, did you think Zalatoris on 18 obviously hits a fantastic drive, you know, sets himself up, gives himself a chance for really good approach shot you know it's a tough spot right you gotta hit it farther than the hole to spin it back you don't want to spin it back too far but it felt like not that he got conservative but he had been dialing his wedges really close that hole back nine and then on that shot again I mean he had a look but it was probably farther probably by double the amount that he would have liked right when he was standing over that second shot yeah I mean that's a tough one to kind of look in the moment and say boy I, I, yes 
if he had to hit it closer, you, you've seen that green because it, it goes it heads back toward the bunker right so it's a, yeah. it's a tough approach shot it, it really is and uh that's what made the country club so great is that it wasn't just bash it down there and figure it out there was one point uh, i don't even know who the analyst was talking about i think it was one of our guys on the radio team but i think it was john rom on 17 maybe saturday if i'm remembering correctly and uh forgive me if i'm not but he banged one way down there and then all of a sudden he had he had like 60 yards into the green. We're, you know, you're thinking, oh, he's only got 60 yards. He's going to get up and down. You know, that's really easy. Well, at that point, 60 yards, it was like hitting out hard pan. That fairway is just so firm right there. That it's really hard to get your wedge underneath the ball and, and hit a good shot there. And so that's what made the course so interesting and so intriguing and, and so tough to play for these guys. It wasn't just, hey, hit it far. And the further you hit it, the better it is. It's, hey, we've got to hit it in these spots. We've got to miss it in the right spots. And so, you know, it's, uh, I, I, again, thought it was a tremendous venue and uh, thought it really played out uh, well for the tournament. But before we get into Kepka, one of my uh, opening takes on the podcast was, you know, listen, we love winners, Tigers, the Bradys, the Currys. I mean, they are what we, you know, they, they become the most famous. But there is something special about, and I think Phil fell under this category for a long time, Guys that get so close and lose. I mean, they gain a kind of a special rooting interest for us just sitting on our couch. And I do think Willie Zalatoris has kind of entered that category of he is an elite player in these tournaments. Like you just watch him and go, he's got the chops, but he just falls up so short. It's not like, you know, he blows it here, he blows it here. I mean, it's it can't get any closer, Sobel. So two things. First of all, I, I walked with the final pairing on the golf course for a handful of holes on Sunday afternoon. That was a very pro Willie Z crowd in Boston, and he has no ties to the Boston area whatsoever. So uh, people just gravitate towards him. You know, he looks like Happy Gilmore's caddy. You know, he <laughs> smiles when he plays. He's a, a classy young kid. So uh, people do like him, and I think he's he's gaining a lot of fans. Just like you said, maybe gaining more fans for not winning than if he was winning. That said, I, look, it's inevitable. I, I mean, we can sit here and say. I think, personally, he's a generational ball-striking talent. He's going to win multiple major championships. That said, start talking inevitabilities in major championship golf, and there's really no such thing. We thought Colin Montgomery would win a major, Lee Westwood, Ricky Fowler at one point, you know, eight years ago, came in top five in all of them. Patrick Cantley, Xander Shoffley these days. Oh, yeah, they'll win, they'll win, they'll win. There's only four of them every year. There's a lot of really good players. There are no inevitabilities, and so – while I think that, yes, he's going to get it done, and when he gets it done, he's going to look back and say, boy, I'm glad I had those experiences of getting into the mix because that really helped me uh, rely on on those to, to go out and win a major championship. But you never know. A decade from now, Will Zalatoris might look back on the early part of his career and say, boy, I really wish I got it done back then because it gets a whole lot harder if you keep coming close and you don't get it and you kind of feel that pressure. Uh, agreed. Okay, let's get to the news of the day. You know, when they when they officially signed DJ, it was a really big deal. Even though he had been rumored for a while, when they when they got Bryson, it was a really big deal. And then today, if you combine them, they got seven major championships. They're three stalwarts on the Ryder Cup. I mean, they're three of the most famous American players. I, I had dinner with a player last night, and the player said, before we even, like, you know, shook hands, we were getting into a conversation of, you know, hey, here's what's going on with this. What do you hear, hear about that? I'm hearing a lot of big names. Uh, some of them, maybe it's happening. Some of them, maybe they're just negotiating and feeling it out. Some of them, uh, maybe it's just you know a smokescreen and they're not going at all. So uh, a lot still 
left to be determined. I'm guessing by the time this podcast is posted, we'll have more news. And that's sort of the problem with this. The news cycle never seems to stop, John. I mean, this thing keeps moving and moving and moving, and we don't know where it's going to stop. But there are a lot of questions. There was a player meeting earlier on Tuesday morning with Commissioner Jay Monahan. I had a couple of sources tell me that there are questions about, hey, are these guys going to be able to get official world golf ranking points? And his answer was, uh, I, I don't know. We'll find out. And there was a, a lot of questions about the DP World Tour, formerly the European Tour. And uh, there's talk that Liv is going to try to buy the DP World Tour. And what would that mean? And Jason, well, I can't really speculate. And, and so I understand his position there, but boy, it just looks like the PGA Tour is just sitting around on its thumbs waiting for things to happen and seeing everything happen around it without really calling calling into action anything. And I, I don't know what they can do at this point. I really don't. You're much closer to it than I am, but from the from where I'm sitting, it, it feels like Jay might be a little over his head on this one. Uh, is it fair to say that there are some PGA Tour players? I know it's their organization, but no different than the NFL. Roger works for the owners, but they are dependent on the guy. Do you think the confidence level in Jay, especially with the loyal guys, right? JT, Rory, you see Colin pledging. Uh, Xander, it feels like, has been a little on the fence. Some of these guys have confidence in them from what you're hearing around these players and agents. It's a good question. I think you'd have to ask each player individually. Uh, I'm sure there are players who uh, don't like the the leadership that Jay Monahan has shown over the last few weeks and months. Uh, I'm sure there are players, though, who think he's done a great job. So it, it just kind of depends. Uh, with whom you speak. I I do believe that it's a little strange that the most vocal leaders in the game for the PGA Tour over the last few weeks have been, as you mentioned, Rory McIlroy and uh, Justin Thomas and John Rahm and not Jay Monahan, the guy who's in charge of all of it. And so uh, Monahan's going to have a press conference here tomorrow. We'll see what he has to say, but I'm not sure what else he can say right now that's going to quell any of the rumors and and stop any of the speculation. I mean, it's it's essentially a tidal wave right now, and he, he's standing there with his, uh, uh, you know, with the swimmies on, just trying to hopefully not get too wet. One rumor I saw this morning, which I'm sure that came out of that player meeting, is that they're going to do the extra tournaments for big money for the top players. Isn't that kind of why a lot of these guys are leaving to play less for more? Isn't there a way to maybe up the pip and hand out this money? Isn't that a bad strategy? I don't know. I, they're just throwing stuff against the wall at this point. I, the, I, I find it very funny that a lot of these guys say they're leaving for live so they can play less golf. But eventually, the live schedule is going to involve 14 events. And so and you can't skip those. Unlike the PGA Tour where you can pick and choose, you essentially, if you've signed up, you kind of have to play. I don't know if you get a doctor's note uh, if you're not feeling great, but you have to play 14 events. And if they do indeed get world ranking points, and you qualify for major championships. Now you're looking at 18 events. That's as much or more than most of these guys want to play. So the whole like, yeah, I want to play less, so I'm going over to live tour for quality of life. Uh, that doesn't really ring true. I don't believe that at all. What's the minimum for a PGA Tour player 15. that's not like 15? It's Would you 15. say, that, and so you, is it fair to say the average guy, the top guys play somewhere between 16 to the low 20s? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So really, if they go, you know, if Liv goes between 14 to 18 over these next several years, which they're only going to go more, it's not going to be that much different. They just get more guaranteed money, right? No, same thing, but don't sit here and tell us, yeah, I want to play less golf. I want to spend more time with my family. Uh, You know, I want to kind of have a a better life for myself. And 
and then go out to the live tour. And yeah, I get it. It's only eight events this year and it's not much golf and you can kind of take part of the year off, but starting next year, they're looking at, I think 12 events and uh, by 2024, 14 events. And so you're essentially playing the full schedule. And again, uh, I don't know exactly. I've heard a rumor that if you don't play at least one of the events that you might not be eligible for that massive cash prize at the finale. So it behooves these players to not skip any, you know, if you're banged up a little bit, you might as well go play because uh, it doesn't really matter where you finish quite honestly, but it matters if you play because you want to get that money at the end. It feels like DJ is well-liked and gets along with everyone, but is it fair to say that obviously Bryson, Patrick Reed, and even maybe Kepka, it's not like there are going to be that many guys on tour that are going to be like, like losing sleep over these guys leaving. I mean, I'm not a big wrestling guy, but this feels like, yeah, the, the good guys against the bad guys. I almost feel like it. I, I get it. PGA Tour is not doing any business with Liv anytime soon. Liv's not doing any business with the PGA Tour. But in a perfect world with what we have right now, maybe we just get our like, all right, well, let's get six events a year where we essentially play like a Ryder Cup where us against you, good versus bad, you know, and, and go against each other. And maybe that's the way you save golf. I, I don't even know. Uh, how you do this, and I don't know who's going to blink first. Essentially, it'd be a big game of chicken, and it would take them coming coming together and eating some crow and, and trying to figure this out. But uh, for the good of the game, for the good of the consumer, that might be the best thing moving forward. I don't know. I don't have answers. Uh, you and I are recording this on Tuesday morning. Do you know if Kepka was in that meeting this morning? I, I, I would imagine not. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, but, I saw you tweeting. Do you expect him to play this weekend? No, I, not really, but he also, I, I don't know, I haven't checked my phone in five minutes. Uh, maybe he's not in the field anymore. I, like, literally, I can't look away from my phone because something else will happen I know. at some point. As of when we're speaking right now, uh, midday Tuesday, I believe he is still in the field. They can't kick him out of the field because he hasn't yet played for Liv. Even if he signs a contract with Liv, remember, PGA Tour only suspended players after they hit their first tee shot at the first live event a couple of weeks ago. And so in theory, Brooks could sign with live play a PGA tour event this week. I don't know what the motivation for that. Hey, we can go out here and get my message out or something, but he in theory could go play the travelers championship this week and then go play the live event next week. Do you think Jay had something to do with this field? Cause it does feel just on paper. Like it's better than usual. Is it just because the logistics to where the U S open was? Uh, I think, Jay had something to do with the RBC Canadian Open field a few weeks ago. I think they talked to a few of those big names and said, look, we can't have what looks essentially like a worse field than the, uh, the live of, event in London. So I, I think, you know, Rory's the defending champ there, but they got JT and Scheffler and Burns to go play there. And I think that helped this, this week. I, I tell you what, Andy Bissett, Nathan Groob, the guys that run travelers uh, do an awesome job every year. These guys have been coming for a while now. And, and so this isn't really anything new especially when the U.S. Open is you know, just a, an hour and a half down the road. It's not a bad trip for these guys. So uh, this is kind of what they do every year. Uh, you know, this turned into a really good event on the PGA Tour. Well, I saw the guy that you picked to win. It had me smiling, and I, uh, I already placed a very, very large wager on him, the top 10. Let's go. Uh, the, the, the only thing I'm a little nervous about the guy, he's elite. I mean, at one point in time, I'm looking up Saturday, kicking myself that I didn't put a top 10 on Davis Riley in the U.S. Open. The only thing that makes me a little nervous is he's played a lot of golf. And it's just like, obviously, his talent, he's bound to win. Does it make you nervous as a younger player just eventually just hit one of those tournaments that you run out of gas? Again, I, I'm wagering on the guy this weekend. 
that's the only thing that gives me pause because this guy can play. Yeah, nah, that's the least of my worries. Uh, I would worry more about he hasn't really seen this golf course and he's, you know, maybe the, it takes experience to go out and, and seriously contend here. But no, I'm, I'm not really worried about a whole lot. Uh, 13 under won this golf tournament last year. Harris English beat Kramer Hickok in that 137 hole playoff. And, uh, you know, as they kept going round and round this place, but uh, I'd like to see something based on what we've seen from Davis Riley. I know he played pretty well last week, but he tends to at least small sample size at this point in his career tends to play his best golf when the score is uh, scores are lower. So I would like to see something in the 17, 18, 19, 20 range under par. I think that that fits his game better right now where, hey, lots of birdies to be had out here. Go out and get them as opposed to it playing tougher. So uh, you're right. I love Riley. I love the number on him this week, about 50 to 1 in most books. Uh, I think it's a really smart play. Same trajectory. We talked about Sal Torres. Same exact trajectory as his buddies, Al Torres, their roommates during the pandemic when they weren't playing golf, they're playing in their living room instead. Uh, the only problem, the only difference now is he's probably about six months to 12 months behind him on the timeline, which really isn't that much. How about a lot of the top dogs? Obviously, Scotty just played excellent. Rory, I mean, another top 10 in a major. They're all here. I mean, J- JT's here, Sam Burns, Xander, Spieth. I mean, this is a pretty high end, you know, at the top of this field, do you, do you like any of that group to, if you were going to place one of the, the elite guys? None of them would surprise me. They're all good enough to go out and win. None of them are uh, trending in the wrong direction or anything like that. So um, I, I can certainly see any one of them. The one, if I'm making one bet on a guy with a shorter number next to his name, it's probably Patrick Cantley. And I think we've sort of overlooked how well Cantley has played because his majors haven't been great. Although, Shot one under over the 36 holes on the weekend at the country club, finished a share of 14th place. His non-major finishes have been second and third in individual events. He won the Zura Classic with Xander Shoffley next to him. And so he's played really well in non-major championships recently. And so uh, I've always thought this is a place where Patrick Cantlay was going to win. Shot 60 here in the second round, I believe 10, 11 years ago. So he's a guy that I've always kind of had circled for this one. And I think he could have a big week. Two names, one in the 45 to 50 to one range would be Brian Harmon, guys had success. He had some moments last week. And then just this guy's number is just so big. Just to sprinkle it is the gala. I mean, anytime that he's playing in these, that I, I, is this a good spot for him? I, you know better. I just, I, I just put a little, I mean, his number's huge, like 100 yeah. to one. Good course for Harmon. Just the upside hasn't quite been there. The ceiling's not quite there. His results aren't measuring up to his performance. Uh, you would think that at some point he would. I, I always liken it. I think I've used this analogy on the podcast before. He's he's like a pitcher in baseball. He's got a 275 ERA, but he's three and nine. And so you're like, at some point, the wins are going to come because he's pitching well enough to get those wins. But I, I like Harmon for a top 10 this week, uh, top 20 if you want to be a little more conservative. Figala, I, I don't know that it's a great course for him. I like him more, I think, on course at this point in his career where he can go out and, and bomb it into some wide fairways. Uh, one guy with a big number next to his name that does suit this golf course. I was shocked when I saw the number next to Webb Simpson's name. Well, they have him at FanDuel. I, I, I saw some books with 80 to 1. Yeah, 70 to 1. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would take at least a little of that. I know he's not playing his best golf right now, but the guy knows he's how got to win, win equity. Yeah, yeah there's sure. win equity there. There's value. Get you out of here on this. I mean, I, I already had a JT bet for uh, St. Andrews. Watching the weekend and just watching Hideki – 
I mean, he's just got every shot in the bag. I, I might have sprinkled a little bit on him for St. Andrews just because his number, you know, some of these guys, Rory's like nine to one. I got him like 30 to one. Yeah. Is there anything that you notice Saturday and Sunday, either with big dogs or maybe the middle tier guys for St. Andrews you went? I'm going to keep an eye on this guy over the next month. Decky hits such a high ball. And look, it was windy on Saturday and he played really well. Uh, it was Saturday or Sunday. It, 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 was the, it was the three wood, I think, stinger on like 15 or 16 that like, I was like, okay, Hideki's got some shots in the bag. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I don't love him usually in tougher conditions. I, I like Hideki in more dome kind of golf. Um, but yeah, I, I can see it. I, I think they are going to absolutely tear up St. Andrews. If we don't get 45 mile an hour winds and sideways rain, these guys are going to shoot 63s and 64s. Like it's no big deal at that golf course. Uh, the guy I like, look, it's chalky. It's the favorite on the, on the board right now, but Rory McIlroy is going to play uh, ridiculous golf there. He might not win, but he, he is going to make a ton of I, – I, I would bet the bet I'd make right now, if you're not betting Rory to, to win the event, uh, and I don't even know if you could find this bet, but Rory to make the most birdies in the field for the Open Championship in a few weeks, uh, I, I think is a really smart play because uh, I just see him going out there and might make some mistakes, but he's going to make a lot of red numbers on the card. So – I like him. Other than that, again, look at that birdie average on the PGA Tour. Look at the guys who aren't afraid to fill it up, the guys who proverbially uh, aren't afraid to go low. And so I, I think that's who we're going to see on the Lily board. You know, like I said, unless the weather comes through and we get two over winning the golf tournament because you can't see straight with the rain right into your face. To me, if, if you can find Rory, and it might be hard at the time, just plus odds to top 10, you know, one-to-one or even like minus 110, that feels like a lock, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, the guy's had a hell of a year. Well, so is Scotty Scheffler, which feels like he's already locked in the uh, player of the year. Is it fair to say? I can see. So, I mean, somebody's got to go on a roll. Somebody wins the Open. I, look, and the FedEx. Patrick or Justin Thomas wins at St. Andrews. They've got player of the year. Yeah. So throw that. It, that's that's at least the very start of that conversation. Well, the one thing Scotty Scheffler has, he's already made twelve million dollars. I saw, and obviously, when you're the number one player going in the FedEx, he could rack up, you know, basically a Clay Thompson like uh, season salary wise. I was talking to a player earlier today, and we're talking about the lives, and I said, you know what, the play might be instead of looking for a big contract from Live, stay on the PGA Tour, beat eight other guys in the FedEx Cup. The eight guys who are left playing the PGA Tour, and you win fifteen million. Bingo. <laughs> That's a good strategy. Well, yeah. thanks. Enjoy the travelers, and uh, let's go, Davis Riley, baby. All right, all in. Take it easy, Sobel. Thanks, bud. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's go. Uh, at Golopod is, the, uh, is my Instagram. Fire in those DMs. And uh, at Golopod Instagram for this uh, golf show. Start with uh, Steve. He just forwarded me a Golf Digest. PGA Tour plans to counter-rival tour with lucrative series for the top players. Like I said earlier, those guys left because they wanted to get their money up front. You have to find a way. I, I think that's such a terrible idea. Like, So you're going to make these guys play more to earn their money? Why not just hand Justin, Rory... Rom, Scotty, whoever your top guys are, the cash. Just take care of them. Find a way. Create some other fake pip thing and take care of them. Don't make them play more. That's like Liv's greatest, you know, example. I, I a couple people forwarded me. I, I I put out on Instagram and on Twitter uh Brooks last week. I, I don't know why he was so edgy and dismissive. It was almost like he got defensive because he knew what was coming, that he was going to leave. And it's pretty clear that going into the U.S. Open, I, I mean, he can say whatever he wants. Like, he was he was going to go to the live before, you know, last week, right? So uh, maybe he committed earlier in the week, wanted to let the U.S. Open happen, but he, he looks pretty bad after that rant he went on, I, I think. And again, I uh, there he just could have easily just subtly not talked much about it, but he got very, very aggressive and defensive, which was unneeded. Uh, from Joey, chatter starting to heat up about Kepka going to live. Personally, I love seeing a new business come in and shake up the existing stale industries. Have no problem with live, and I think the PJ Tour has sounded like a whiny child about the whole thing. 
But in all honesty, could they have done anything different to prevent this? I really think they should have been much more proactive on talking to the players and going, one, how do we get you more money? And two, how do we take care of things like your caddies' expenses? Can we pay the caddies? Can part of the winnings, so if you win, if you're Matt Fitzpatrick, you win $300,000, and we pay your caddy the 10%, $300,000. Instead, Matt has to pay him. Like, that is a huge point of difference for Liv. I, I would imagine Liv has these guys on a stipend for food. Like, w- when the Golden State Warriors went to the Boston Celtics, Steph Curry did not have to buy his own dinner. Joe Lacob pays for all their dinners. Just basic things that made... One of the reasons when the tech industry really took off in like 2009, 2010, and 11, if you wanted to make and be a younger person and make $200,000, dollars $400,000, you worked on Wall Street. You worked in money. But it was just very black and white. You showed up early, you grinded, you left late. Then Facebook and Google and some of these, these tech companies came around. They said, you know what? You're working at Goldman Sachs. You're working at Morgan Stanley. We'll pay you $200,000 more than you're making. You're a 30-year-old up-and-comer. You're making, what, $350,000? We'll pay you five. We'll also provide daycare. We'll do your dry cleaning. We'll provide breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There's a gym here, and there are little nap pods. It's like, where did people leave to work? They all went to work for tech. Why? Better life conditions. More money. Life isn't that complicated. If I'm paying you 100 grand and your life sucks and someone comes around and offers you 250 with a lot more perks, guess what? You're gone. You know, this I he could have figured out ways. It feels like Jay is completely over his skis cuz he didn't anticipate this stuff coming. How is that possible? I I I have nothing. I'm not part of the PGA hell. I've I've only been to PGA events as a fan and I've been reading about this for 18 months. How could it feel he got caught so flat-footed? What do they tell you when you're playing defense in basketball? Get into a defensive stance, bend your knees. Why? So when he goes left or right, you're ready to move. I feel like Jay was just, what, was he hanging out of his house? I, I, I don't get it. What a shot out of the sand. Fitzpatrick was amazing. If I send you a video of my swing, are you comfortable giving me swing tips? Uh, not really. You know, I'm not Clyde Harmon. I'm not Butch Harmon. I'm not Boat uh, Summer Hayes. I'm not, you know, David Ledbetter. I'm not, a, I, I got my own swing issues. I'm working on keeping my hands farther away from my body. I saw a video of myself. I'm messed up. My alignment's messed up. My hands are too close. You know, I, I don't mind my backswing. I'd like to get a little smoother transition. But I, I, I would say DM Claude Harmon, DM Dave Ledbetter, DM, you know, uh, Sean Foley. I, I am by no means a swing coach. I'm just a guy that watches a lot of YouTube videos on how to improve your swing. I think any question you have, let's say you're hitting a slice, let's say you're chunking the ball, type it into YouTube. I have done this countless times. Struggled at bunker shots. Typed in bunker shots. You know who comes up? Like Jason Day and Tiger Woods. I struggle at basic chipping. Type it in. You know who comes up? Justin Thomas. All this stuff's on YouTube. I, I promise you. I am not... I mean, I'm, I'm a struggling right now four handicap who's playing much more like an eight. So I, I would say that is not, I am not a swing coach. I hear people talk about how they want to learn golf is to first learn power, then add direction. Total bullshit, right? I think developing touch and feel is far more important. When I practice hitting a cut on the range, I take half swings first, building up to a full swing. Shouldn't kids learn to hit the ball the same way? 
I was born in 1984 and I started playing golf in the 90s. And the equipment that we had in the 90s, you learned to make solid contact, consistent solid contact. Ball striking was key. It's not the way it is anymore. The way people teach now is power, power, power. Swing hard, hit it far, figure it out from there. That is how every single person I've talked to that play in college golf, to me, that's what I would recommend. Now, practicing touch like around the greens, you can you got to practice chipping. But if I would learn to hit it as far as possible. The, the technology is built for the ball not to go that far left or that far right if you can make solid contact. So I, I, I would say yes. 1992, playing Mizuno MP22s, yes. Playing the Ping Blades, you know, playing the Ben Hogan's, you need to learn to swing smooth, make contact. Swing like, you know, Fred Couples. I'm not saying swing like Bryson DeChambeau, but I don't play with many good golfers that don't hit the ball 300 plus yards. So I, I would hit the ball far. That would be my recommendation. One for the bag. Do you think players under the current era are undervalued for number of victories? The sheer volume of talent on tour now, comparison to previous generations, is not comparable. For example, should Rory's 21 victories be worth more than DJ's 24? Well, I'd say DJ's won the majority of his victories against Rory, against Spieth, against Tiger, against Phil. I'd say DJ's victories are pretty legit. You know, think how many guys under Sergio Garcia's, the Westwoods. I mean, there have been a ton. Ricky Fowler's, my guy Hunter Mahan. There have been a... I think if you played in the last 15 years, the Tiger era, your competition top to bottom is a lot better than like Faldo Norman 1989. Not saying that like Azinger, you know, Nick Price, there weren't other high-end, but I don't think their depth was even close. You know, Tom Watson, some of the guys, the depth was not the close. So I'm with you. If you win 30 tournaments now, would that be the equivalent of like, I don't know, 45 in the 70s? Maybe. Now the counter would be if Jack was sitting here or Tom Watson was sitting here is like, their equipment's way better. If you gave me their equipment, if I won, you know, 50 times, I might have won 70. So it's, I think it always gets back to, I think it's very, very difficult in professional sports to compare eras. It's hard to say, what would Seraph Curry look like in the 80s? Well, what would Kareem Abdul-Jabbar look like in today's game? I, I don't know. I think my answer always is, they'd both be good. They'd both dominate. Like, what would Mean Joe Green do today? He'd kick the shit out of everyone. What would Patrick Mahomes do in the 70s? Throw touchdowns. So, I, I, I hear you. Uh, but I think the equipment has really changed the game. And the ball. When, when I was a kid, most people played baladas. Most of the balls were really soft. Honestly, when I was a kid, like playing in junior high, even before I got to high school, probably in like 2001, 2002, 2003, there was one good ball. It feels like now, three or four, obviously, the Pro V1X, the TP5X, Bridgestone makes a sweet ball. I mean, there are, like I said, TaylorMade, I mean, there are three legit balls, let alone the clubs. So I... I think it's hard to play that game. I really do. But I I hear what you're saying. But I would not discount DJ. His wins are legit, I, I I think. Do you ever bet on live stuff? I work for Sportsbook and get to trade the live golf tournament sometimes. And for me, it seems like it's easier to pick winners once the tournament is live and you kind of get a feel for who is playing well and who isn't. The odds are still usually pretty long, especially in the first three days. 
unless there is someone running away with it. Thoughts? Love the golf pods. I've bet live a couple times and I've been burned. So I would say I typically don't bet live. For example, I looked at the live odds on Saturday when I was drinking. I went and played golf in Northern California. The Sleeper, it's a Lynx golf course on the water, Bodega Bay, Northern California. Great little course. Me and my brother went out there, played. It was so fucking slow. By a whole 16, we quit. And we went to the bar and had lunch and had some pops. And I just kept drinking the rest of the day. And I remember looking at it, watching the open. And some of the odds, like I would have put money on John Rom. And I think at one point in time, I looked, he was like three to one. And I would have lost. So I, I hear you. It's, I, I actually think it's easier to do a live odds in football or basketball when it's two teams playing each other than it is in golf. Because there are so many variables. Because if you bet someone live, even on Sunday morning, well, if that guy shoots 75 and some other dude shoots 64, you, your guy might not even finish in the top five. So I, I think it's easy in theory. But in my experience, I, I don't hit many. I'm better off betting Will Zalatoris b- before and just letting it ride out. Just started listening to the podcast recently. It is just awesome as your football one. I'm 23 and started golfing last summer. I started out shooting in the 120s for 18 holes. I have progressed to now shooting around 95 to 100 consistently. My question is, what do you shoot roughly now and what did you shoot when you first started golfing? If I could get down to the 80s by the end of summer, I would be thrilled. You know, I've been golfing probably since I was like 7, 8 years old. Uh, I, I would say I've been, you know, I, I'm probably an underachiever at the sport. You know, I probably have hung mostly in the low 80s my whole life. I would not consider myself a great player. Uh, I've had times when I can get in the mid to high 70s. Right now, I'm, I'm technically a four on paper, but I don't think I'm playing that well. Uh, I, I would, if I just went out and played right now, I would shoot somewhere between 79 and 81. But again, I, I've been playing, I'm 37 years old. I've been playing golf for 30 years. My question is, what is your recommendation for buying clubs for someone like me who hasn't played hardly at all, but grew up playing baseball, basketball, and has an athletic background? Any certain brands, used or new? By the way, I'm a lefty. Uh, You know, I, I think there's two ways to do it. If you're an athletic guy and you've never played golf, it makes sense to just buy some used clubs. You know, you don't need to go get fitted and pay a premium a couple thousand dollars to get a brand new set of clubs. I would go somewhere, Dick's, Golf Mart, and buy a used set of clubs. Now, if you're an athletic guy, I would buy a better brand, whether that's I play TaylorMades, but Callaway's, Titleist, whatever, get their cavity backs, more forgiving clubs, and just try to get it reasonably priced. Now, golf clubs are not cheap. Even used, it might cost you five, $600. But I would try to get a solid brand, a legitimate set of clubs, newer, uh, so good technology, but you don't have to get fitted perfectly. And then kind of go from there. Start screwing around, start playing, working on your game. And that's how kind of I would I would go about it, would be my take. Uh, enjoy your podcast, all of them. Here's my question. What is the end game for Liv? Is it just a battle established another golf circuit? Is it a vendetta against the PGA? The money they are giving out is outrageous. They're never going to recoup that money anytime soon. They obviously don't have a TV deal, so ratings aren't important to them. Do they even have a plan in place? I think some of the criticism of the golfers at Switch would be less if they actually were trying to help establish a viable competition for the PGA. As I see it, Liv has got more money than the PGA, so basically it's just an attempt at making good press for the Saudis. If you can point me in the right direction, I'd appreciate it. Well, I think it's a double whammy. I think you hit it at the end. You know, sports washing is what the uh, the media tells me. 
and it's when you use sports to make your regime or your country look better. Even though I think I saw Rig say this at Barstool, like, honestly, we never really talked about Saudi. When I talked about Saudi, you just talked about, like, that's where we get our oil. I mean, hell, Biden's going over there to try to get oil to cost lower, even though it's, they're going to say kick rocks. But, like, they're one of our biggest trade partners. So when they're sports washing, it's actually come up much more with us talking about these golfers. Now, are we going to keep the same energy for a long period of time? Probably not. Uh, <clears throat> there is a vendetta. This was Greg Norman's had this idea for 30 years. Greg Norman hates the PGA Tour. Greg Norman came up with the idea for the WGCs, and the PGA Tour stole them and implemented them. Greg Norman thinks that the PGA Tour has fucked guys like him, star players, for decades. So Greg Norman could not do this alone. Greg Norman didn't need to find the backing. He did, and now he's he's trying to ruin the PGA Tour. That is his goal. So the end game, I think their end game is to make the Saudis look good and steal as many players as possible and figure it out from there. I don't think they have like, one day we're playing, you know, all these tournaments mean this. We we'll want to get a major. Like, I, I don't think they're that far. They're just trying to develop a circuit to make the Saudis look good and and ruin the PGA Tour. I, I honestly, I think it's as simple as that, which is kind of crazy, but that's just the reality. Not a huge golf fan outside of Tiger and the majors, but I have to side with the live golfers. The PGA does not offer the players anything other than a chance to compete for money. And the players have to earn that opportunity. The only solution now is for the PGA to offer the players a true 60-40 transparent revenue sharing, where the players get 60 of whatever the networks pay for each event with the majority of the 60 going to the purse and the remainder in a form of a stipend to each player that qualifies for each event. That player can use for expenses, lodging, caddy, etc. That way, they can still give 20% to charity and 20% for overhead. This can all be negotiable. But the PGA has to act now, otherwise they will become the WWF. Because if players can still play in the majors, which is all that really matters, agreed, every top player will eventually leave to live because the tour will be devalued with weak fields. Completely agree. This is where Jay Monahan is getting ruined by Greg Norman. Like, Greg Norman, I, he's not winning because he hasn't stolen all the players, but like you would say, if it's a game, he is up in the game. I mean, we're in the first five minutes of this. They've played one event, and he's already taken multiple top 20 guys, three top 20 guys with a bunch of majors. Star American players. Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, and Bryson DeChambeau are superstars. And Phil, beside Tiger, is the most famous golfer since Greg Norman. And, and he's one of the most famous golfers since like Jack and Arnie and Greg Norman. Like he's on a short list. Ben Hogan, Tiger, Phil, like he's on the top 10 list of most famous golfers in the history of the sport. So Greg Norman's winning right now. Not necessarily Jay's losing, but Jay's, I feel like Jay's against the ropes and just taking body blows from Norman. And I don't know if he has the Muhammad Ali rope-a-dope in him. Like, eventually, Greg's a couple players away from nailing a knockout blow. John, listen to your podcast. What is your play from 100 yards to a tucked pin? I'm a member at Columbia Edgewater Country Club in Portland, Oregon. It's our annual LPGA tour stop. If you are ever in Portland area, let me know, and I would love to take you out on my treat. Shit, I'd love to come. CECC is an AV make-on layout and impeccable conditions. Wish you the best. Side note, I'm a 2-2 currently. You're a pretty good player. Uh, I would say 100 yards to a tuck pin 
is kind of this choke down 54. I wouldn't say full swing, but probably a 90% backswing and aggressive downswing. And if I got if it's a tuck pin, meaning I got to go over a bunker, I'm planted high. I've also tried to implement the JT. Phil's had this forever, kind of that low runner, you know, between 100 to 80 yards. Kind of skips once and then stops, skips a couple times, which is really hard. I mean, I, I, I probably need to work a little bit more on that. But I, I feel I got the 90 to 100 yard shot that I got hit in the air pretty good. Uh, I feel pretty confident with that shot. I'm much less confident probably from like 65 to 80. 65 to like 82, 83. Tough shot for me. Still working on the kinks out on that one. Golf is an untapped, especially for people like me that got serious over the vid. QQ for the pot. What's your opinion on how the PGA is handling live? Personally, I think it's below them and kind of childish. They have the social and physical capital to improve their entertainment product a bit and get more investment capital to bump up the purses, but the suspensions and little consequences will only go so far as player public sentiment continue to change for live, which it already has changed a lot in a week or two. P.S. Not sure if I speak for everyone, but I'd love to hear your bit about your golf game each week. What you're working on, how you got better, or even how, some stories. For us normal people, it's fun to hear normal people navigate their golf games. Well, playing against my brother, who had labrum surgery uh, like six months ago, and he's he's like a one or a two. He's a good player, lefty. I was kicking his ass, and we played for like 50 bucks. And I was one under through five holes. Just birdie putt after birdie putt, knocked one tight, and I started feeling myself. I'm on a group text with a guy that played in the U.S. Open, his brother, who's a big, really good player, and my brother. And I got cocky. I started texting. I'm kicking Jeff's ass, taking pictures of the scorecard, four straight pars in my birdie. I'm like, I'm going low. And then the next, that was hole five. So the next four holes, I go five over. And, uh, you know, I would have shot like 80. So you got to be careful in golf about getting too cocky early. And that happens to me sometimes. And it's the opposite. When I start shitty, sometimes I get too down on myself. You got a lot of golf left. So uh, I, I'm really, I, I need to work on my, my posture. I, I feel like I'm hunched over, hands are too close to my body, and it's just made for inconsistent ball striking. So yeah, I've, I've already given my opinion on the, uh, on the golf stuff. So appreciate everyone chiming in, at GoLoPod, fire in the DMs. You know, listen, I agree with Justin Thomas. Ultimately, this sucks. I, I don't want golf to be fractured. But as someone who started a golf podcast in 2022 to go along with my football podcast, it's pretty entertaining. I don't really, like, it's it's added a lot of content. And it's become one of the bigger stories in sports because it is a pretty polarizing story, right? It combines famous people, sports, politics, money. It's kind of got it all. You know, it's kind of got it all. So from a content standpoint, I'll be honest, I'm not complaining. Not complaining at all. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, 
That grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A A podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at First first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.